Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You should have gone with the movie called A Perfect Murder that has nothing to do with Dial M for Murder nothing at all. whatsoever. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. As I sat in the corner, I thought of all sorts of things. I thought of three different ways of killing him. I even thought of killing her. And that seemed a far more sensible idea. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recotopia, episode 88. I'm Scott. And I'm Dicer. Yeah, I remember this time. <laughs> and now we're wild and crazy guys. The problem is your last name sounds like a first name. It does. It does. <laughs> I have had three first names my whole life. Oh, well, welcome to the chat. Glad to see some usual faces in there. And uh, hope to see you chiming in on some of these topics and issues. The big recommended day from Dicer is Dial M for Murder. And before we get into that, we like to do the small recommends. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, I'm hoping you brought a couple with you. It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I did not forget uh, I did bring a couple. Uh, let's start off with the movie. Uh, this was a previous big recommend on this show. However, mm-hmm. I was not on that show, so I did not get to talk about talk radio, which I recently oh. watched. <laughs> Um, this is Oliver Stone, right? Uh, mm-hmm. doing this movie and it's, you know, uh, it's got a little bit of that dark conspiracy magic that Oliver Stone, uh, likes to get into, but it is really a movie in my opinion that is, I'm going to say about 25 years ahead of its time in kind mm. of the stuff that it's dealing with and the idea of, you know, when we watch movies like this sometimes, this, this is late eighties, uh, when this came out. Um, and, uh, sometimes movies just show us that as it is, it always was, you know, Mm. things have always been how we think they are just now. And this is kind of one of those movies because it deals with, you know, ideas of polarization ideas of, I mean, you could substitute talk radio for Twitter and have the same movie. You know what I mean? Like this, the ideas of way people interact with each other, the way that entertainment becomes philosophy instead of just entertainment and therefore becomes more important uh, than it actually is, the way celebrity impacts entertainment and culture and philosophy. And, you know, uh, I don't need to rehash a lot of what was already gone over in the episode of Recotopia where you guys talked about this, so you can go back and check uh, that for plot and some other thoughts, but... Man, this movie is is so good. I you know, it the the end isn't necessarily surprising if you're paying attention. Right. But it but it is Im- very impactful, very mm-hmm. meaningful and um I think what the the movie has to say uh about um 
self-destruction is is very interesting as well uh throughout this um so yeah really in the performances are amazing and you guys loved on you know the one the spinning one shot it's kind of yeah. the you know the the feature of the um the production of the movie and rightly so it's it's a pretty amazing speech and then shot in a pre- pretty amazing way so uh yeah talk radio rules um it's one of those movies that uh once i got into film of course this was before i was going to movies uh but once i got into film in the 90s oliver stone was kind of one of the big directors jfk and all that stuff and so it was like, well, what else has he done that we've never seen? So I went back and rented talk radio. Oh, blew me away. So good. And the the little phone beep, beep, kind of rhythmic music kind of thing that this film has inspired a song mm-hmm. that I wrote in my college band. So there you go. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, my first small recommend this week uh, is a small recommend. But to you, Mr. Aaron Dicer, it is a personal huge recommend. Fair enough. Uh, and this is another one of these uh, American-British blind spots where I find out something. Like, apparently, last week I learned that apparently British people put butter on any sandwich they eat. If it's if you're eating a sandwich, you put butter on that bread. And that just is wild to me. Um, so I have now discovered a game show that's been running for 19 seasons. <laughs> as they say, uh, since 2008. And it's very similar to one of my New York Times word games I told you about several weeks ago. It's called Only Connect. And have you ever heard of this, Aaron? No, uh, but I did ask Ian about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's it's the best thing ever. You will love this. Uh, uh, he didn't he didn't tell me much oh, other than that. So I'm excited for you so to tell me your about alley. it. Yeah. Um, this is the nerdiest game show I've ever seen. The contestants openly accept and acknowledge their nerdiness they are encouraged to name their teams things about their nerddoms like the larpers or you know the transformer collectors or what have you uh and it's all about random things that have a connection and how fast can you spot the connection and if you miss after four uh four clues the other team has a chance to steal and so I'll give you an example uh, of how incredibly hard this is. The, the show, the Wikipedia says the show is intentionally difficult. Mm-hmm. And I am watching not to play along. I'm trying, but I'm not succeeding at guessing any of these. And right. I'm just in awe. So one example in the episode I, I watched was from season 19. And the first clue was the word eon, A-E-O-N. Mm-hmm. And the second clue was the word numb. And they they didn't even wait for the third clue. They immediately guessed Djibouti because the first word had a silent A, the second word had a silent B, the third word was going to have a silent C, and the fourth word needed a silent D. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to guess what she's got on her card as the answer if your logic is right. That's amazing. There was one where it showed a picture of a horseshoe, then a picture of a pencil, then a picture of a walrus, and they buzzed in and got that they're all styles of mustache. And I was like, well, that's absolutely true. But I was my brain <laughs> I would have not never have gotten there yeah. that at all. So I have each of the last four or five evenings spent about an hour or two watching a couple episodes of this show. There's almost 500 episodes of this show. Uh, so loads and loads for you to watch. Uh, but I really think this is going to tick that part of your brain uh, that likes language and connections and figuring things out uh oh this is this is the kind of stuff i used to do all the time uh like with puzzle books and and that kind of stuff um 
Yeah, I I do I would not consider myself like like I would probably lose on this show, but like as far as words go, that's that's my jam. So um so it'd be a lot of fun. Thanks to Slab for pointing out that I did not mention where I watched this. Uh it's on YouTube. Every episode is on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type only connect. Uh and I forget the name of the channel that those videos are on. Mm. Uh here we go. Wheels on Genius, all one word, is the name of the channel that hosts Only Connect on YouTube. So there you go. Check it out. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, I will definitely uh, look for that. That sounds amazing. Um, speaking of TV shows that uh, are Aaron's jam, um, <laughs> I want to just say a new season of BattleBots has started. Oh my. Uh, I love this show so much. Now, I will say that a lot of the surrounding production between the actual battles botting, bots battling, <laughs> uh, is is a lot of a lot of the the production uh, in between those kind of things. It's a little over the top for me. It's a little cheesy. It's a little reality show, um, you know, kind of stuff. I do like the guy that does the intros. He does a lot of wordplay uh, and. I think his name's Farouk, and he does a lot of fun wordplay and has a, you know, like a big, like, fight-style announcing kind of thing he does. But everything else from the announcers and that kind of stuff, I just kind of maybe even fast-forward through a little bit. Uh, but the fights are so fun to watch um, because you've just got, they've got certain rules that go along with this. Like, your your bot can only be, like, a maximum of, like, 300 pounds. By the way, 300 pounds is a lot of bot uh, and one of the things you don't realize when you watch this on TV until you see like them bringing their bots in is how huge these robots are. Like they are these giant machines that are just like running into each other at high speeds. And then you start to learn about the different kinds of bots. You know, there's like flippers and smashers and, you know, front blades and back blades and, you know, um, spinners are an interesting type of bot. Uh, and they all kind of have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, but it is just a blast. I just love watching it. Um, so yeah, if you have uh, discovery on your uh, TV package, or you can watch it on Max, um, which is now Max, the one for Discovery. I feel um, like BattleBots is a thing that's been going on for about 20 years, but I don't know if it's the same show or it if is. it's just different variations. Really? They, they've adapted. It's evolved over the years, but this is technically, let, let me look here. Um, this is technically season nine. So uh, this is season nine of the new format, but there, this competition was going on several years before that, and there were some specials and that kind of thing. But this is technically season nine of the the new format. Where and where do you watch it? On Max. And it is the goal to flip the other robot upside down. So the rounds are three minutes long, and the goal is to absolutely disable the other robot. So you're trying to break, you're trying to get it so the other robot is knocked out, can't move, can't you know whatever. Now, if if both robots go the full three minutes and are still mobile, then they'll go to the judges, just like in a boxing match or something <laughs> like that. So, and they judge them on certain uh, like damage, sure aggression, and you know, so like there's a car third racing. I'm sure they have all these stipulations about what they can and can't do in the build of the robot. Right, materials they can and can't use, and correct. There are no projectiles, so like, or at least uh, explosion-related projectiles. So you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't make a gun. 
You can't turn your robot into a gun or a tank. Oh, um, that they had to specify. You can have arrows. You, you can throw tennis balls at it if they you want. Do, and some of them have. Some of them have had other projectiles. Uh, some of them some of them will split their weight between multiple robots, and they will have a drone that shoots fire down uh, from the sky, and that'll be one of their robots with another one that's, you know, uh, doing the groundwork. So, Could um, you make 100 tiny robots? If you wanted to, yes, that would be a terrible decision. I don't care. I don't care what the would you rather, you know, face a hundred duck-sized horses or a hundred horse-sized ducks. I don't care what you can have that debate if you want. But the tiny robots will be absolutely uh, a bad, bad decision. You'll just get run over. <laughs> oh man, I'll have to check this out. Oh, it sounds definitely fun. It is. Um, it's a lot of fun. The, the chat says the split bots never win, so I'm thinking. No, they usually oh, yeah. don't. Actually, the split bots don't usually win. There's a lot to be said for just putting all your weight in the main bot. Um, and man, there's, but it is fun because there is a real battle between like the front, the uh, the front blades, and the flippers. They like a flipper can can absolutely dominate a match because if they have a good driver and they can get under you, some of those flippers because of the pneumatics that they're using can flip these 300 pound bots, 30 feet in the air. It's insane. Some of the stuff that happens. Yeah. That's wild. I saw uh, an ad on Instagram yesterday for, and I had the volume off. And so there was a guy and he took a a ball, looked like a baseball size ball and Mm -hmm. dropped it. And it kept bouncing itself to the same height. Ooh, perpetual Perpetual. energy. And I thought, holy shit. So I clicked on it, and then I turned on the volume to watch the video again. And first of all, it's an absurdly expensive product, but it's a musical product. Mm. They want you to buy multiples of these and drop them from various heights, and then they have an app that has hundreds of sounds that the (laughs) balls make when they hit. So the video is this guy basically building his own beat with the balls. Okay. And I was instantly... Like I'm no longer interested. I have. I want. No, I'm not going to pay nine hundred dollars for something. I'm going to wait for actual perpetual self bouncing balls that are just mm-hmm. you know thirty dollar bouncing balls. Like I don't. I don't. Why we keep making new instruments? Like, it's a fair question. That's a very complicated way to make. Stop music. being creative, humans. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> uh, my second small recommend. Uh, believe it or not, we're still in the small <laughs> recommend portion of the show. Uh, I watched this two, three nights ago uh, on one of the pay channels, movie channels, is Sisu, uh, a 2022 violent as hell action film. Have you seen this? Oh, yes. I've seen oh, this my. three times. Wow. How did that happen? You liked it? Uh, what's funny is not really, but, uh, (laughs) but I'm well aware of the kind of person that will love this movie. And so my thing is when I know uh, there's a movie you're going to love, I want to watch it with you. Uh, and so I've introduced it to friends who I I know would, would dig it quite a bit. So I don't know that I would have watched this had it not been for Jonathan saying something about it several months ago Mm -hmm. when he saw it. Uh, cause I, I like action and I like one man against many i like so many things about this movie but it's so gory like there's so much i put in my tweet there's passion of the christ levels of gore mm-hmm. in some of this violence and the way it's presented i was cackling at it i was not disgusted by it uh my perspectives are changing even as a 
aging adult in terms mm-hmm. of what I do and don't get in, you know, enjoyment from. This movie is about, it's based on an actual, real, legendary Finnish sniper who fought in the Winter War mm-hmm. and is considered the deadliest sniper in all of history, having more than 500 kills. Now, this is a loose adaptation. Uh, so, no, just saying he's a real person in real life. Uh, so this is a fictional version of him. Uh, and he's gold miner now. He's old, war's over. Uh, and this is just after World War II has ended. And we spend the first several minutes just silently watching him mine for gold. One of the things I love most about this movie is how silent it is. There's so much unspoken mm-hmm. action that is still riveting. He finds a huge swath of gold, and I love, absolutely love the actor's 30, 60 seconds after he finds that gold. He takes Mm -hmm. you on a dozen emotions. So he sets out on horseback to go sell his gold. When he comes across some meandering, wayward Nazis, uh, because when the war was over and Germany lost, not all of the Nazi soldiers decided to go home and face the music. A great many of them, in fact, fled to other places in the world. These Nazis have three vehicles, uh, a troop-carrying vehicle, a tank, and then a covered vehicle with a bunch of women they are apparently raping, uh, they've kidnapped. Uh, And they come across this one guy and find his gold. And the rest of the movie is them trying and failing to kill this man. And it gets to a couple of points of comic action where he's like, he's shot a couple of times. And then there's a scene where they're shooting a 50 cal at him and he's running away from it. And Mm -hmm. they manage to not hit him. Uh, But aside from that, I was riveted by this movie. I wanted this man to kill every Nazi he saw and take his gold to town and sell it and buy a boat. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if what I've said has encouraged you to watch this movie or not, dear listener, but uh, I loved it. I loved it. Well, in an attempt not to yuck anyone's yum, uh, I will just say that uh, that (laughs) I I get the love for this movie. I totally understand how fun it is to watch like there's there's a technical proficiency to what's done in this movie that I think understands how to appeal to that part of human nature nature that's like like it's both it's a little bit revenge fantasy it's a it's a little bit you know one man against the world fantasy like you know uh so like I I I get what it's doing um it's just what it's doing is not interesting to me or um or particular uh particularly honorable either like there's there's nothing like <laughs> good at the end of the day about about the greed of you know for the the gold or whatever well, I, you know? I will say the end of my tweet about it the other day was some of you will hate this uh, mm-hmm. so i knew instantly that this was not a movie for everyone um but boy howdy is it a movie for me um all right uh half the show is over and we've yet to talk about the big recommend aaron let's talk about dial m for murder i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed well, at least the big recommend doesn't have an intricate plot or anything that we have to go through. <laughs> yes, thank God. It's so straightforward. Uh, Dial in for Murder is a Hitchcock movie. Uh, originally, 
film to be shown in 3D, uh, Hitchcock's only 3D film that he made, also his first widescreen film. Uh, stars Ray Milland and uh, Grace Kelly uh, as kind of this couple that uh, one of them is having an affair and the other one wants to murder his wife. So that's, you know, basically where we're at with them. Um, so we find this out pretty quickly. One of the things I like about this movie is how quickly it disposes with its setup and plot. Like we immediately find out she's having an affair with this crime writer who's coming over and then immediately find out he already knows about it and, you know, is, is planning something. We find out the details of a blackmail thing that's going on where somebody found her love letter from this man and is blackmailing her. We find out very quickly that it's the husband who did this, stole her handbag, has been blackmailing her um, just, you know, to see what was going on um, and is now in the midst of a murder plan. So the first real big dialogue scene we get, which comes pretty quickly, comes between the husband and this man he knew from college. Uh, it's set up as if he's looking to buy a car. The guy comes over and we very quickly learn that he's actually bringing this person over to be the murderer of his wife. So we get him laying out his perfect murder in this first scene. He says exactly uh, what's going to go on. He subtly gets this man's fingerprints on a letter uh, by dropping it and having the guy pick it up. And then um, he doesn't pick it up with his own hands after that. Uh, uh, which is uh, really smart. You get the sense through this whole thing that Tony is an intelligence to be reckoned with. Like he thinks of everything. He's going into details on how all of this is going to work. Um, he has, uh, you know, Swan will have these, th th Swan, by the way, is the name of his college friend uh, who he brings over. And, you know, there's a lot of details in the plot about like how he's, convince Swan to do this. Basically, he knows Swan is up to bad things, and so he's kind of blackmailing him. He also now has his fingerprints on the letter, so he he's really blackmailing him, saying, look, I can make you the person that's been doing this so easily. Um, and so he's kind of got him in, in a place where he can't really do much but do this murder, um, and so that's what he's going to do. The key piece of information, uh, the key piece of information <laughs> for later Jesus. is <laughs> is revealed uh, at the end of this conversation he's going to leave her key under the stair carpet for him to get in and then replace it in her handbag when they come back and discover it later so um so that is how the guy's going to get in that becomes a very crucial part of what's going on with this plot so the murder uh, will take place the next day. And so this is all happening right away when they are going, when he and Mark is the writer's name are gonna go to this stag party. Before they leave for the party, there is a full conversation about the perfect murder, which is another thing I love that Hitchcock does is he always makes one of his characters really interested in murder. Like that's, you know, like it's their job, you know? So Mark's job is literally to plan perfect murders for crime novels or actually crime television uh, and to uh, put that together. So, you know, the Tony knowing he's trying to commit the perfect murder is smirkingly asking him, how do you do this? And, you know, uh, playing along. Um, so they have this conversation about having the perfect murder. Uh, 
where then it turns to, could you do the perfect murder? And Mark says, no, I could never do it. In real life, I'd make some stupid mistake and not know until everyone was staring at me. Foreshadowing uh, <laughs> happening right there. Uh, so then they head out, um, and as they're heading out, he finds out she wants to go see a movie. Well, she can't go see a movie. She's supposed to be murdered tonight. Doesn't yep. she know this? Yep. Uh, so mm. he has to think on his feet. The movie is also very good at showing us Tony improvise. Like the idea of committing the perfect murder depends on so many little details. And part of it is you just can't plan the future. You never know what's going to happen. So the movie is also clear to show us that Tony is good on his feet. He's good at improvising. He understands how to uh, you know, change when things need to change. So he immediately shifts into gaslighting his wife into staying home. Um, and, you know, pulls the old, oh, well, you know, if, if you don't want to do the clippings because we're going out, we'll stay home too. We'll ruin our day too. So you don't have to just ruin yours or whatever. And so he goes to call or whatever. And she's like, no, no, go ahead, go. And he's like, are you sure? I just want this to be your decision. Just a very gaslighting, uh, thing he's doing, but it works. And so she stays home to work on her clippings um or his clippings for him before he goes uh he brings over her scissors uh so that she can uh do that because she's gonna need her scissors (laughs) as if he would know as if he would know uh he also hits a a few other snags but improvises them perfectly as he's trying to get the key place some different things happen and then he kisses her goodbye with you know the most creepy goodbye my wife that anybody has ever said in the history of goodbying their wife so then we get the murder scene. It's going to happen. So he part of his plan was to call at a certain time uh, that the person he knew to murder her would be there. He looks at his watch and it's not quite that time. But wasn't it the same time when I looked at my watch earlier? Oh, no, his watch is stopped. Uh, <laughs> so now he has to find out what time it is. Turns out it's a little bit later than he thought he was, but he just catches in time as the guy was getting ready to leave, thinking maybe something had changed. Um, So even though he's seven minutes late, uh, it turns out that it's going to work. So uh, there's a struggle, and then the classic shot of the movie, if you're watching this live, you can see it in the artwork, her hand reaching back for anything, something to get this man, to keep this man from killing her. She finds the scissors and delivers uh, a, an absolute strike to the back of the, the killer. And then he brings it home by falling on the scissors and uh, apparently. He it home. <laughs> like, I'm going to help this murder get right. awesome. Yes. yes. Uh, and becomes that death blow, uh, killing him as he lands on it. Uh, Tony quickly realizes. Um, because he's on the phone, by the way. He's the one that made the phone call to bring her out there. He quickly realizes uh, he's got to answer this phone call now. Uh, he has to, you know, to account for why he made this call and was listening um, when this happened. So he answers the call and immediately begins improvising a new thing. He tells her not to call the police or touch anything. His job has now shifted as he gets back to her. His job is now not to create the perfect murder. It's to create the perfect framing of his wife for the murder. Mm. And he immediately starts doing things that will frame her. Uh, He takes the key from Swan's pocket to get rid rid of that, Uh, puts that key in her purse. He burns the actual murder weapon 
and then puts her own hosiery into the yard as if that were the murder weapon and hides a second one underneath the desk mat. Now, I'll just stop and say, nobody uses a desk mat anymore. Everybody used to use a desk mat. I remember this vividly growing in the 80s. Do you remember this, Jeremy? Yes. yes. Like people would have desk calendars, desk mats, and it was like, it was part to keep like when you were writing from like damaging the wood of the yep. desk or whatever, um, you know, or doing office things. But now everybody's office things are on a screen. So there are no more desk uh, mats. It's, it's very sad. It's a sad loss for all of us. Uh, so anyhow, he puts one under the desk mat and uh, sets her up in that way. Uh, the next day, he tells her to say that she didn't call because she thought her husband would. He now needs them to have their stories straight uh, so that she seems like she's the one being sneaky. Uh, during the investigation, uh, which, by the way, we now call in the investigator, maybe my favorite character in the movie. I mm. love this performance from John, John Williams is he the actor's awards. name. <clears throat> yeah, he's so good in this. Um, and it becomes kind of a tete-a-tete intelligence battle between the inspector and Tony as they're going through this. But uh, during the investigation, the shoes show that he very clearly came through the door. He did not go through the yard. They weren't muddy enough. He also had fibers from the floor mat uh, on his shoes. It is clear he came through the door. So how did he get through the door? There was no key on him, so he couldn't have copied the key. Um, and so that is, you know, a, a no-go. Um, and so we're now in for this battle of the minds. Tony tracks uh, that the that his plan for framing his wife is working because he he sees that the inspector is now looking um, at Mark's handwriting. He asked Mark to write something, and so now I'm sure he knows the inspector is comparing their handwriting. He sends uh, Tony out so that he can talk to Mark and um, Margot about their affair and what was known earlier earlier Margot had denied having the letter stolen but now she will admit it so she looks guilty again for lying here um and it's all coming together his plan is working perfectly the stocking part works to perfection and the inspector believes that Margot did it and so does the judge and jury Margot is convicted she is set to die one in one more day and desperate Mark comes to Tony and says, we have to do something. We have to figure out how to get Margot free from this. Here's what we need to do. You need to admit to this crime and here's what you did. And he has it pinned, absolutely <laughs> pinned every detail. Doesn't that he know. Is, doesn't yeah, know that he, has that, that he has it pinned. He thinks he's making up a story. Yeah. And what only Tony knows is he's actually making up the exact thing that happened. Uh, of course, Tony doesn't want to play along with this. And then the inspector stops by right in the middle of this and asks Tony or asks, yeah, Tony about large amounts of cash that he's been spending, asks him about an attache case uh, that he might have. Um, Tony claims to have misplaced the case, but Mark is in the other room overhearing this conversation, and in that room with him is the case with the money. And so now Mark is going, oh, 
he actually did do this thing <laughs> that I made up. So he uh, goes out and tells the inspector that he found the case uh, with the intended uh, payoff for Swan for the murder. Um, and uh, Tony confesses that the cash was Margot's blackmail payment to Swan, which he had concealed to protect her. He wanted to protect his wife. Hubbard appears to accept this explanation, and Mark leaves angrily. Uh, Hubbard discreetly swaps his own raincoat with Tony's. Um, and as soon as Tony leaves, Hubbard uses Tony's key to re-enter the flat, followed by Mark. Um, so Hubbard had previously discovered that the key in Margot's handbag was Swan's latch key because they all look alike he thought he had replaced his wife's key but it was actually swan's key so now hubbard has to figure out who knew that and how they knew that uh and so he um he deduces that swan had put the key back in its hiding place after unlocking the door and so now, correctly suspecting Tony of having conspired with Swan, he dis he has this ruse to trap him. So they bring Margot from the prison to the flat. Again, she's assigned to die tomorrow. She tries unsuccessfully to unlock the door with her key in her handbag, then enters through the garden, proving that she did not know the key was there and had nothing to do with this. Uh, Hubbard has Margot's handbag returned to the police station. Tony retrieves it after discovering that he has no key. The key from Margot's bag does not work, so he uses the hidden key to open the door, demonstrating to all his guilt and exonerating Margot. Uh, with his escape routes blocked by Hubbard and another policeman, Tony calmly makes himself a drink and congratulates Hubbard on a job well done. And that is Dial M for Murder. Uh, Jeremy, what'd you think this time through? Dun, dun, dun. I really like it. It's really good. Um, I don't think I have anything negative to say about it. The only negative note I wrote was I think maybe it just does a hair longer than it needs to be, but mm. not in a way that feels too long. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, it was already mentioned in the chat, but one of my notes uh, is, uh, for me, the key scene is the overhead shot when Tony is walking Swan through the the plan, mm -hmm. through the apartment. Uh, and it's a very unique perspective uh, in terms of the kind of films we see today and how they would shoot a murder mystery. Uh, and I, I, it's extended. It goes on for quite a while. And I, I was really struck by that. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. I think the detective guy steals the show. I think the guy that plays Tony is incredible. I feel a little bad for Grace Kelly because she isn't really given a lot to do here other mm -hmm. than get murdered. Um, but uh, she's still great. I think she still gives a great performance. I love the intimacy. You can tell it was a stage play first. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, in, in doing some research, Hitchcock went out of his way to try and keep this as confined to that apartment as possible to yeah. give you a feeling of claustrophobia. The scissors scene is shockingly visceral when it goes mm -hmm. in further into his back when he hits the floor mm -hmm. uh, and i read that hitchcock was fairly well obsessed with the the stabbing of the scissors and spent 
many. He shoots. knew it was the money shot. He yeah. knew it was the money shot, and he spent a lot of time getting that right. He stopped re eating. He had anxiety trying to get that right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do want to step out of talking about the film because my most important note about this film mm. at the top of my page, the closed captions for this film are among the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, about half the dialogue is missing entirely. If I were completely deaf, I would have missed. 35, 40% of this dialogue, uh, and I wouldn't have known it. Because I'm only partially deaf, I was able to hear most of it. But there, if Tony would say three sentences, only two of them would show up on the screen. Uh, so that was infuriating, and I feel like somewhere we've got to be doing better than that. I feel like you could even put AI on the job. These, guys, these captions have to be mm. 50 years old. Uh, yeah. And I don't know why somebody new can't get to them. I loved the line when he says... Uh, I was going to pawn you off with a different port. Let's see what we have here. <laughs> uh, uh, it's kind of uh, wild to me that the version I watched on Amazon is struck from a, a film print that has like a little filament uh, hair kind of thing at the bottom of the picture for mm, like 20, 25 minutes. I love stuff like that because it just shows me that I'm watching actual it's also that came from actual film. The <laughs> the flat print that most people watch, I believe, is the right eye print from the 3D. So what's interesting, oh, interesting. To, another interesting thing to think about when you're watching the flat print is you're actually watching a little bit of a shifted view of what Hitchcock intended, right? Because if he if he shot it in 3D for both eyes, then you watching one of those eyes shifts it a little bit to that side or the, the perspective a little huh. bit different. So Huh. Yeah, yeah. I love how Tony's plan starts to go wrong right from the start. After mm -hmm. having a conversation with the crime writer who says, you know, these perfect crimes always have variables that make them go wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, I mean, from the moment, from the moment he's trying to hide her or get her key, and he, he can't even get her key properly. But that, that's after she's like, I'm going to go to the movies. And he's like, no. <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, he undoes himself with the scissors, which is his ploy that ultimately gets her to stay home and be murdered. Mm -hmm. Um right from the start like he should have he should have freaking known freaking better uh and not gone through with it he should have realized oh this is this is all going i've had six mistakes and it's only been 20 minutes so far um, but his arrogance is like the key to his character like he just thinks is. he can improvise all of this and make it work and i mean he most doesn't even approach the murderer he wants to hire until the night before right that's how confident he is he's going to convince this dude mm -hmm. Oh man. Well, and there's wild. so many of those little touches like he knows when the inspector like he knows the inspector knows that he knew this person in college. He like he knows and so he immediately admits yep. it and yep. goes and even gets the pictures like, "Oh, this is the guy." Like that stuff is so brilliant like on a character level. Um I I think the raincoat thing is a, the only plot convenience like if I were making a sins sure. of this movie, I would hammer the fact that the, those two guys just happen to have raincoats that look nearly identical. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out that is kind of like just an observation. That detective illegally enters their apartment. Yes. Before he solves the murder. Mm -hmm. Like that's breaking and entering even though he uses the key. Like that's hella illegal. And if a good, <laughs> a good attorney is going to probably get Tony off on this charge. Well, uh, and maybe that's what happens. We don't know. <laughs> they should make a sequel 
dial T for trial. Um, uh, dial Steve. A for acquittal. <laughs> I don't understand the decision to strangle her. Like, I feel like if, if I look at murder in, in an academic way, mm-hmm. strangling her with nylons or whatever he uses is about the riskiest way to kill this person. Come out from behind those curtains with a knife and everything mm-hmm. goes according to plan. <laughs> because strangulation takes several minutes sometimes to complete. It just seems like a really dumb way to try and murder someone, especially when but, it's premeditated. But Jeremy, if he's not strangling her, we don't get the him waiting for her to put the phone down fun where he's like, you know, <laughs> do I go now? Do I go that now? Is awesome. <laughs> it I is love awesome. That moment because he, he half goes for it a couple times. I just that is what ultimately undoes all of it, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of Tony's mistakes, I think he could have skated by if the murderer had chosen a better murder weapon. <laughs> Anything with a sharp blade, uh, an explosive projectile from a battle bot. Um, <laughs> well, it has to, the only prerequisite is that it has to be something he would have on him. Because he is supposed to have been surprised by her. Like, he didn't come there to murder her. So it, uh, yeah. it has to be like a, a in-the-moment kind of thing. Entering, still going to have a switchblade on him or right, something. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, no, yeah, blade's fine. Yeah, no, this movie rules. I don't really have anything negative to say, despite the five <laughs> or six negative things I had to say. Uh, it's really, really good. <clears throat> uh, I love... One of my favorite things is looking for Hitchcock shots. And the one I noticed this time, and there are many in this, you already mentioned the overhead um, shot is a really fun one. Um, the He is setting up the affair between uh, Mark and Margot, And this is happening in their apartment. And they hear Tony coming. We cut to a shot of the door to see him come in. And we hearing his footsteps approach. And we see their shadows separate to opposite sides of the room. Mm. That's just such a subtle, interesting, like these lovers don't want to be found out. So they're going to move to opposite sides of the room. Yeah. And it's just, it's just their shadows. It's just like the, he tells story with the visuals. Um, you know, it's just, I, I love that kind of stuff. So I wanted to mention that was the one I saw this time uh, watching through this. It's also uh, wild to me that their affair is largely through post Like, he was in Mm -hmm. London a year prior. I assume they slept together or hugged something. He (laughs) goes back to America, and that their affair from there is entirely letters. Mm -hmm. It's all letters. It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I also wanted to mention a couple other things. Uh, I did get a chance last year. Uh, Alamo Drafthouse showed this in three, the original 3D print, um, and I did get a chance to see this in 3D uh, from beginning to end. They didn't even end. air it in 3D when it was released originally. Uh, no, not not. For, there were a couple showings, but not as like a big you know um, release kind of thing. That's crazy, but uh, but I did get a chance to see the 3D print of this, and if per chance you ever get a chance to do that, I highly recommend it. It's clear Hitchcock was using. Um, you'll notice in this even a lot of the low angles and like there'll be lamps, be, mm-hmm. you know, in between like the characters and the camera. And he would use those foreground things in a 3D space to create like he would like with two characters could be talking and they're kind of on the same page. 
and then when they have dissension, he will shift the camera and the foreground object will be between them, almost oh. like dividing them um, during huh. you know a shift in the conversation. Uh, he makes some really interesting decisions. Also, that classic shot with her reaching back in 3D is oh. so powerful. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really good stuff uh, in the 3D print. I wanted what to mention I read that was that even though he set all that up, he he apparently knew the whole time it was never actually going to end up being a 3D film. Like he saw the writing on the wall, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. still put all that effort and thought into it. Um, and if he wasn't yes. such a terrible person, um, he'd be so easy to idolize. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, yes. I mean, I, I don't need to go through everything. Do your own research. <laughs> but uh, I think it is fairly safe to assume he had some misogynistic tendencies uh, and, uh, and further than that, which is why I did find it interesting. One of the facts I read on this one is uh, Grace Kelly had an argument about the, the night dress she was wearing to go answer yeah. the phone. And he was like, well, what would you be wearing? And she was like, I'd just be wearing, you know, this uh, slip cover or whatever it was. I don't know what she nightgown, said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this nightgown. And he said, okay. And then I guess from then on, let Grace Kelly make all her wardrobe decisions, which is not the Hitchcock I have read. Like he was so overly, like I even yeah. know in this movie, he wanted her wardrobe to go from bright colors to dark colors by the end like there's a progression of the colors of her outfits uh to the end of this movie so i know he was detailed about that kind of stuff but yes he he thought actors were cattle they were just you know tools for him to use um but uh but yeah he he definitely had a brilliant eye for visual story carrie grant for this or they mm -hmm. did the studio did but i don't know that hitchcock did um, but it'd be fascinating to be able to watch this movie with Cary Grant's performance because he's nothing like the actor that plays Tony, even though I still think he could have played this character. Really I think he could well. have too. I don't think he or his uh, agents wanted him to be a villain. Um, oh, and so I think, I think that's probably why they, they didn't go that route. Uh, that's carried through today where the rock won't let himself get beat mm -hmm. up in a movie. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, the Anthony Dawson uh, played Swan in both the um uh broad uh, in both the play and in the movie and that's true for the inspector as well both uh, john williams and anthony dawson were in the uh, play version of this before being in the movie version of this i thought that was interesting hmm. um one of my favorite lines in this movie is the same reason a donkey always goes forwards towards the carrot and <laughs> then and then swan goes Tell me about the carrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's just a, it's a, just a great way to do that. Uh, this just a couple of thoughts, interesting thoughts. Um, the uh, Hitchcock is famous for doing wrong man movies uh, where the wrong person is suspected of doing something bad. That's a lot of his movies fall in this category. This is his only wrong woman movie um, where it's the woman who's suspected of murder. Uh, that didn't actually do it. Um, so that that was an interesting point. And then um, it's really similar to Strangers on a Train about yeah. a, a tennis star and a murder. And uh, and there is even a subset of people who like to believe that this is a sequel to Strangers on a Train. Uh, after a few years of them being married, uh, he goes. He decides he does want to uh, to murder her. So. Huh. Um, so yeah, uh, I thought that was, that was fun too. So there you go. That's my dial in for murder stuff. Uh, I do think we need to 
avoid for at least six weeks movies about murderous tennis players. (laughs) (laughs) It's all I got, man. It's all I got. Um, All right, so I guess it's time then for the super secret double feature. Hmm? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Well, I am surprised not to have seen any of the three movies I wrote down in the chat yet. Uh, the first one I decided not to choose is Rear Window. Um, mm-hmm. Very similar vibe. Lots of long takes with no dialogue. Grace Kelly. Killing his wife, not getting away with it. Um it felt a little too on the nose, a little too easy. Uh, and I thought long and hard about this movie none of you have probably seen uh, called The Burnt Orange Heresy that has Donald mm. Sutherland and Mick Jagger in it um, because that is about a, a plot to commit a perfect crime. Murder ends up being involved. But the reason I wanted to choose it is the, the, um, the Burnt Orange Heresy is not great. Uh, I was fairly riveted by the story, but it's like a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes. But the last shot, the very last shot is amazing. And you have to sit <laughs> through the whole thing to get any uh-huh. any of it. Um, and that, that last shot is when the main character realizes he's not gotten away with his perfect crime. And the movie ends um, just like this one. But I decided to go with something that I thought more people would predict because it was a little... Very on the nose, but a very different feel of a movie, and that's Murder by Numbers. Um, young Ryan Gosling uh, mm-hmm. conspires with a fellow classmate to commit a perfect murder and get away with it because they believe they are smarter than everyone. Uh, Sandra Bullock ends up being uh, the cop who is assigned to the case. She almost instantly suspects one of those kids, even though they both have alibis. And it's all about how the story plays out and how he will or won't get away with it. I just think it would be a very interesting, uh, tonally different, but uh, topically almost identical uh, double feature. Uh, somebody trying to get away with the perfect murder and uh, mm-hmm. a smarter than them detective. So I ended you up should going have, You should one. have gone with the movie called A Perfect Murder that has nothing to do with Dial M for Murder nothing at all. whatsoever. <laughs> What's funny is I've seen A Perfect Murder more recently than Dial M. So when I was mm-hmm. watching Dial M and realized that the he wasn't going to make her lover be the murderer, I was like, oh, yeah, that's something the Michael Douglas movie came up with that's right. uh, not in the original. And yeah. I'm not sure adds anything to <laughs> the second one. Nope. Um, all right. Well, uh, now we have to do next week's homework. Yeah. If I have done my math correctly, uh, this episode that we record next week on the 24th will release on Halloween Eve, Monday the 30th. That will be the last October episode of Recotopia. So I am sticking mm. with the murder horror-ish kind of thing. I'm going to have us revisit a movie I haven't seen in two years. 2020's The Invisible Man uh, with Elizabeth Moss. And um, if you haven't seen it, 
I think it's incredible, but I have forgotten enough of it that I'm excited to go back. Uh, it is not simply an Invisible Man story. There is a lot of great subtext regarding what women have to go through in this country, which you'll hear us talk a little bit more about in the outtakes, um, and how it differs from what men have to go through uh, in this country. So mm -hmm. uh, let's check this out. Now, I usually write down where you can see this. Okay, it is on Peacock right now. Uh, and it's also on one of the movie channels. So I'm getting Hulu. If you have a premium subscription, you can watch it there. Um, but it is on Fubo TV as well. Uh, and I hope that you guys will check it out and enjoy it. I can't wait to talk about The Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I haven't seen it since uh, it came out a couple years ago either. And I'm excited to revisit it as well. Yeah. All right, everybody. I think that's probably going to do it for this week's show. Thank you to the chat for coming out and weighing in and helping us know the microphone levels might have been off. Uh, <laughs> we value your input and we love seeing your avatars every week. Uh, it's like we're part of a family. Um, next week's episode, your homework is The Invisible Man. For Aaron Dicer, this is Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Oh, you're quiet. I gotta turn you up. Speak again. Again. Britney Spears has this memoir coming out, right? Okay. Like, I think in a week or so. Okay. Uh, I remember reading headlines five, six months ago that there were A-listers in the entertainment industry that were privately threatening Britney with lawsuits over what they feared the book would contain, including people like Timberlake. I don't know if any of that's true. But now Rumors. That Yes, now that the book is about to come out, uh, excerpts are leaking. And TMZ has a headline today that says, Britney says Justin Timberlake got her pregnant and then they had an abortion. The, the article says they were in love. They thought they were going to be together forever, but they thought 19 was too young to have a baby. And so after mm -hmm. some emotional conversations, they agreed together to have an abortion. Okay. I'm frustrated with the phrasing of TMZ saying Timberlake got her pregnant. As mm -hmm. though he tricked her. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a more yeah. scandalous headline, so I understand why an outlet like TMZ would run with that. But we're going to see all kinds of this. Take something that sounds juicy, but 19-year-olds have unprotected sex and realize they're too young for a family all the time in this country, at least right. in states where it's, <laughs> where it's not illegal. Um, and, you know, obviously there are cases of assault. Those don't count. Generally takes two people for a pregnancy to occur is what i'm saying correct like i feel like the headline should have been we we got pregnant when we were together uh and then had an abortion but it's instead it's like justin did an act like he took an action right. that and she was just a bystander it's also a weird one too because you know there there is a in, in not to even you know address any of the various and nuanced take on life and abortion and all of those things uh but there is a there is a very large 
subsegment of the country that would find it scandalous enough that abortion was had. You know what yes. I mean? Like, it's a weird, like, what are you doing by amping up something that's already, already yeah. you know. And again, I'm, a, I'm pretty much going to defend Britney Spears for most most things that come up. I think that conservatorship was pretty evil. Yeah, uh, sounds pretty I, bad. I think she probably could stand to still have some assistance in areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, all I am observing is what she puts out on the internet, and I'm not observing it. I'm just reading headlines about it. Uh, right. But, but, but my point is, I'm just talking about language. I'm not really trying to talk about, like, who's to blame for pregnancy. I mean, <laughs> I was taught there's a there's like a, a, a male sperm and a female egg, and they, they kind of have to work in tandem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the language of it all, that we're going to pull these these tidbits as her book comes out, and we're going to make the headline sound three or four times more scandalous than it is. Because when you read the article, it sounds like, if you're, if you're vehemently against abortion, that, that's fine. I'm not trying to talk about your morals. Right. I'm just saying it sounds like two young people came to a tough decision together right. after an accidental pregnancy. It's, it's right. almost wholesome. And we're making it out to be this, yeah, he knocked her up. Now, granted, I also think Timberlake, you know, is going to face some backlash when this book comes out for how he handled their breakup. And, you know, having mm-hmm. a lookalike in this video called Cry Me a River that made, you know, people mad at her as though she had cheated on him, which wasn't right. really known. And uh, it's complicated. It's murky. All of life is murky, Aaron. You're absolutely uh, right in my opinion, uh, that the choice to say Justin Timberlake got her pregnant instead of Justin and Brittany got got pregnant pregnant together um, is a purposeful, inflammatory choice. And it's, I mean, it's the tip of the iceberg, though, right, Jeremy? I mean, like, this happens every day with headline articles now, where it's just like, Clicks rule all. How do you get them clicks, you know? And And to be fair, probably more often than not, uh, you know, targets women unfairly than it does mm-hmm. men. Sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, DiCaprio's gotten to the point where he catches some flack now, but for the most part, Hollywood A-list men can date whoever they want, and Hollywood A-list women date more than one guy, and they're loose, or they're, right. you know, easy. Yeah. All you know, sorts have. of pejoratives, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the English language, man. We're persuaded by it every day in subtle ways we don't realize. I mean, I'm trying to realize them. I'm trying to bring them to light. I'm crusading. Oh, that's a bad choice of word. (laughs) One level or another, I think language choices are important. Um, I I always have. uh, You know, from a very early age when I was taught that certain words were bad words to say. Um, I, I was, I was also taught that substitutions for those words were just as bad. Like this idea that like what, what the, the word you're saying is a reflection of the intent you have when your intent is to harm someone by using a foul word or whatever. It doesn't matter if you say freak you. Like right. it's 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 the intent like bull behind crap it was not allowed in my house, <laughs> right? You right. know what I mean? Like anything. Now I think it was a, a little bit more rules based, uh, at least when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then as I was older, I remember being taught that it's really not the word you're saying. It's you know, from a religious standpoint, I was taught it's it's what's in your heart. It's what right. uh, and God right. can see that, and so it doesn't really matter what comes out of your mouth. But even if you strip religion away from it, I still think that applies. That. Um, 
you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm fascinated by language. It doesn't really matter what word you use. It, it's the, the meaning behind it. What, like you mm -hmm. said, your intent. Because some words that are bad now in 100 years, they're not going to be bad. And no. some words that are fine now in 100 years, they're going to be bad words. And it doesn't even take 100 years. It no. doesn't even take 100 years. And, really and that's why the, the sensitivity of language is so crucial because you want to be the kind of person who doesn't use language that will harm someone else, right? right. Like you like, and who gets to decide that? Well, people get to kind of decide what language harms them. And especially with somebody outside of your being, your group, like, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. So I don't, you know, right. like if a woman tells me this language hurts me, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to try not to use that language, you know? But then there's there's this other thing of like it's not the words themselves either. And uh, I listen to a podcast called um, Oh, I'm going to forget the name of the podcast. But uh, the host is a black man, and he will often talk about words that white people can't say, that black people can say, and hmm. those kind of things. And he did an episode recently on how he feels that the black community has overstigmatized some of those words for the white community. In that they can't have conversations about those words. Now, mm -hmm. Like you can't even in a conversation say the word or it means something. Like people will be called out for saying a word during a like an intellectual conversation right. about language. Right. And, you know, so he was talking about we have to be uh, again, this is this is his words. And I'd love for you know you to check out his podcast. But he was talking about the idea that we we have to be creatures of logic and reason and understand the intent does play a role in the words that that are said having said that i'm never gonna say those words you know what right. i mean like I, there's no need for me to why do i want to you know what i mean like it's 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 one of those things where it's uh you know just language is like that you also just reminded me not language but i read a thread on reddit last week about it was posted by a woman um whose husband uh is a contortionist and okay. is, a, is a slight you know thin Mm -hmm. small man and had been hired at a haunted house type thing to do weird crap with his body to freak people out sure. dressed as the girl from the ring. Okay. And within three days he was in tears with the way people were treating him because they thought he was a woman. Like uh, people asking him to show his breasts and mm -hmm. people grabbing his ass and mm -hmm. just gave him this stark experience of what women have to deal with mm -hmm. on a daily basis in terms of how society objectifies them. Mm -hmm. um, and man, it was hard to read. Like he was planning to quit after three days. Like I can't, I imagine that was very rough for him, but at the same time, yeah. I bet it was eye opening and I bet it'll change his, his sure. view. And it was just to read his story was eye opening for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's 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 tough. For the most part, my 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 strategy today is to try not to use words that have been weaponized against a certain group. Like that's those are the words I try not to say. Any right. word that has been weaponized, like why does it need to come out of my mouth? Right. You know. So that's that's generally what I try to do. Um, because I, you know, I don't I don't want to hurt people. I just I I don't want to. And I know words are just noises. They're just sounds. They're just, you know, whatever. But we cannot eliminate the power that words have. They they do have 
power, and I think that power should be given to the people that those words were used against. I liked watching, again, not really about language, but culture, but I liked watching Hank Azaria's evolution from the time that Apu got called out. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and a good he example. initially was like, we've been doing this for 20, 30 years, and all right. of a sudden I'm supposed to act like it's wrong. And then like within a year or two, he not only had changed his view, he sat down with the guy that wrote that book and had this huge conversation. And I read an interview where he was like, the last mm. thing I want to do is hurt people. And comedy is never worth that. And I thought, wow, what a, like, we can all learn from watching. Because initially you are going to resist that sure. being told you're wrong. I think the language conversation and the appropriation conversation are very similar conversations, mm -hmm. you know, because... Well, you know, where do you draw the line on imitation? And, you know, does it, does, it, does it matter that, you know, Jimmy Kimmel imitated specifically Charles Barkley? Did a Charles Barkley impersonation, right. you know, back in the day or whatever? And, you know, like that, that whole conversation, I think, is valuable because the perspectives and the hurt and the harm change. And, you know, there are, there are movies um, way too recently that have blackface in them as comedy, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's something that was done for entertainment. And I, I genuinely believe that some of those people thought they were respecting a culture and didn't realize that they were mocking a culture. Like, mm -hmm. I, I genuinely believe that some people thought that, but that's because of their limited perspective, right? Ignorance. And that's the, <laughs> yeah, the ignorance. And that's the idea is like, where am I ignorant? How can I flush that out of me? How can I really listen to everybody's perspective? And when somebody says, this hurts me, just go, cool, I won't do it. Like right. that's, you know. Right. It's just, I mean, I think it's either ignorance or it's hubris, right? You just. You, sure. You, well, sometimes, two... sometimes it's it's in evil intent. Like sure. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's always one of those things. Sometimes sure. it's, you know, malevolent, but. Uh, I mean, but, Spike you know. Lee made a movie in the late 90s, early aughts with two white characters in blackface. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell Spike Lee what he can do and can't do when it comes to right. this well, kind of... Robert Downey Jr. In, in Tropic Thunder is making a point about this very thing. Yes. But is also now un, like, you know, uh, under the microscope. And it's like, well, that's like saying a word in a conversation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... See, there's this there's this rule, this guy on Twitter, Pope had. I don't know if you ever followed him. Um, no. He's on Blue Sky now, too. He's a lawyer and comments on all the national legal stuff and he's really smart and funny but he he created a law that i don't agree with he and it's a call the law this is vulgar it's the goat fucking law and mm. basically if you fuck a goat to to make fun of people who fuck goats you still fuck a goat <laughs> and and so if you apply that law to tropic thunder then robert downey jr is morally wrong because Correct. even though he was making a joke, he still literally did the thing. The I don't thing. agree with that uh, right. because that movie is very clearly uh, taking down that kind of thinking. That idea. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the Twitter and Blue Sky throws that, that rule around whenever he's involved in the conversation. Like it's, like it's an actual law of the universe <laughs> and it drives me insane. I just hear Jonathan going through these outtakes just like, <laughs> <laughs> what is this podcast? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.